And kids are dismissed. Children are dismissed. You guys can head out now. Parents, you're welcome to keep them in here with you if you would prefer, but there is some opportunities out there too. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and take them out. You'll be greatly helped this morning as we uh, jump back into the book of Acts. As a church, we've been walking through the book of Acts for the last um, last couple of weeks here, months, and uh, we find ourselves right now in Acts chapter 14, so I'd encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. And I'm going to read this for us, and then I'll pray, and we'll just dive right in, okay? This is Acts chapter 14. This is God's Word. It says this. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But the Jews, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, rose up, and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, they had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and whom they had believed. 
Then they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word at Perga, they went down to Italia, and there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we just give you thanks and praise for your word. We thank you that you're a God who has spoken throughout history, Lord, and you're a God who continues to speak. Our prayer this morning is just simply that you would help us to be a people who hear as you speak to us. Lord, thank you that your spirit, your presence is here among us, and I just pray that you would, as we just explore your truths Acts 14, Lord, that you would use this word to encourage us and to just shape us and form us into the people that you have made us to be. Take these words, Lord, and write them on our hearts. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the human heart has long been captivated by remarkable stories of perseverance. Maybe you know a few stories of perseverance just in our modern day that are, are really remarkable. One that comes to mind, or a few that come to mind, Jan Kuhn is the founder of WhatsApp. He's an individual who was born in Ukraine who um, knew poverty, did not have running water in his home, eventually finds his way in Silicon Valley where he learns the skills. He was passed over by Facebook. They wouldn't hire him. And then he goes on and develops WhatsApp, turns around and sells it back to Facebook and makes some $19 billion. Likely, I mean, largely because the man persevered, highly gifted, and he pushed through. Thomas Edison, the definition for many of us of perseverance, considered unteachable at a young age, the inventor went on to eventually create the electric light bulb. While most thought he failed, he simply said he found over 1,000 ways to not build the light bulb. That was his spin. Think of Jordan, Michael Jordan. He was a, a famous story of perseverance for me growing up. An individual who tried out, who was incredibly gifted, but was kind of scrawny at, in high school and wanted to try out for the varsity team, and he didn't make the list. And uh, uh, the varsity, so he ended up playing JV, and Jordan said, according to ESPN, that whenever I was working out and got tired and I, I, figured, out how, I <coughs> figured out I ought to stop, I'd close my eyes, and I'd see that list in the locker room without my name on it. And for Michael Jordan, much of his career, much of his competitive nature came from being reminded of that sense of rejection and how brutal it was, and it provided motivation for him. Or maybe Madam C.J. Walker, an individual who was born in 1867. At age seven, she was orphaned. Um, she grew up as a domestic servant. For th she only had three months of formal education. Age eight, 19, she was widowed. She developed a serious skin condition where her hair was falling out of her head. And through that, uh, the remarkable genius that she had, she developed a balm that she put on her head. And she went on to make this and, and sell it to different people um, around the nation. And she became our country's first, as, long as, we, as far as we can tell, female self-made millionaire. Remarkable story. Individual after individual after individual who have endured hardship upon hardship upon hardship. But yet... In the face of difficulty, in the face of great challenge, these individuals persevered. We're drawn to stories like these. I'm drawn to stories like these for a couple of reasons. One is because we recognize that life can be brutal. 
There's nobody in here this, in this room today who does not, who has not come face to face with that reality at some point in your life. Life can be full of difficulty, full of obstacles, and full of challenges. The other reason why we find, why we like these stories, because they provide us hope. While life can be difficult, as we look at these stories of perseverance, we find in them hope that we don't have to be defined by our difficulties, by our challenges, by these sufferings. We find hope that perseverance is possible, even in the face of great difficulty. Many of us are here walking testimonies of that truth. As we turn our attention this morning to Acts 14, we will see this truth lived out in the life of Paul. The big idea of our text this morning is that the progress of the gospel happens through the perseverance of God's people. The progress of the gospel happens through the perseverance of God's people. So far in our study of Acts, we have seen Luke, the historian, giving us an account of how God is a faithful God who keeps his promises. We saw early on that there was this promise that Jesus gave his church that he was going to, through them, extend his kingdom. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit. They would become witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if we just fast forward to the end of our passage today, we see in Acts 14, 27, when they arrived, when they come back to the city of Antioch, Antioch and give a report of all that God had done through them, we hear these words. They arrived and gathered in the church. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. God was fulfilling his promise through these people. But that's not the only promise that we see him being faithful to fulfilling. There's another promise given to Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 27. Sorry, verses 9, chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, where he says, when he talks about how he saved Paul, he says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry for my name, my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. As we have read up until this point, and we've been introduced to this character of Paul, we see up until Acts 14 that God is faithfully delivering on that promise. For Paul, it's not as, as probably as an exciting of a promise that he's being faithful to provide that he will show him how much he must suffer. Up through Acts 14, we see an incredible amount of suffering enter into Paul's life. And yet we see him continue to persevere and persevere. As we discussed last week, there was a real turning point in our story in Acts chapter 13. Up until 13, we saw that God's people were sort of reluctantly carrying out the gospel to the ends of the earth. God was almost having to sort of force them towards this through things like persecution and divine intervention, sort of forcing them out. In Acts 13, what became so exciting is that we see men actually beginning to take responsibility uh, to share the gospel of Jesus with the nations. It was as if the training wheels were coming off. They were beginning to take ownership of this great mission that God had called them to. The journey continues here in chapter 14 as Paul and Barnabas are driven out of Antioch and Pisidia and they head towards Iconium. Verses 1 to 7, we see first what progress and perseverance looks like when they're at Iconium. 
we see that while receiving the gospel is free, as we look at what sort of activities and what happened and why they're in Iconium, that while the receiving the gospel is free, spreading it comes with a cost. That's what we see here. And there's a pattern that we begin to see emerging as we study through the book of Acts, and it's really on display here all throughout chapter 14. It's this pattern of proclamation. As they enter into a new environment, a new setting, a new culture, they immediately begin to focus on proclaiming God's word. After they proclaim God's word, it's usually re- received with some mixed results. Quickly, persecution will set in. They'll, be res- they'll meet some resistance. After persecution, we see that they persevere through it and that the gospel ultimately prevails. It continues to march forward. And this pattern is evident here in Iconium. As they enter into the town, we're told of Paul and Barnabas, they follow their typical strategy. They enter a synagogue and they begin to spread the message of Jesus. They begin to spread the message. This is, as we said before, it's an interesting tactic. It's one that makes total sense. They start at a place where they have some familiarity, where there are people who are familiar with some of the things that they're talking about, and they get a captive audience. Usually as they march into these new towns and they go into synagogues as a guest, as educated individuals, they're given the opportunity to speak, and they take advantage of that opportunity, and they proclaim the gospel. Seven times throughout the chapter 14, we see an emphasis on them speaking or proclaiming God's word. Verse 23 of 13 probably gives us an idea of what their central focus of what the message was. In verse 23 of 13, it says, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. It's probably a good summary of the message that they're proclaiming. Essentially, they're preaching the message of Jesus. In verse 3, it says they bore witness of his grace. And as they begin in Iconium to preach God's word, you can tell what's going to happen next. The pattern repeats itself. Persecution sets in. It produces mixed results. On the one hand, we're told that there's a great number of Jews and Greeks who believed. On the other hand, there was a group of Jews that were greatly annoyed by their message, and they stirred up uh, the Gentiles by poisoning their mind against disciples. This particular form of persecution was sort of that they felt and that they faced in Iconium was like a three-headed monster. It began with slander, intentionally speaking lies, poisoning minds, speaking falsehood, twisting the messages that the apostles were proclaiming, which ultimately led to division. Some believed the lies, some didn't, but it didn't matter. A great deal of damage by this point had already taken place. And that ultimately led to threats of mistreatment. Attempts were made to mistreat, even to stone the apostles. When the apostles were told, or made aware of these threats, the danger that they faced, were told that they fled the city and they went to Lystra and Derbe. And in verse 7 it says, they continued to preach the gospel. They're preaching the gospel, they're facing persecution, and yet in the face of persecution, the apostles are persevering. They continue to preach the gospel. In the face of danger, they might be facing danger, but yet they are undeterred. It teaches us an important lesson about following Jesus, a principle that stands even to this day. While receiving the gospel is free, spreading the gospel will come at a cost. It will come at a cost. Many of us know this firsthand. Many of us can relate to this. As we've received 
the gospel of Jesus and began to speak the wonders of his glorious grace, it's come at a cost. Some of you this morning are sitting here and, and it's cost you family members. Maybe you've found yourself investing in people. Lots of time, energy, making disciples, spreading the word, only to find those people maybe move away in Iowa City. It happens. Or, even worse yet, walk away from the faith. And it leaves opening, the reality is opening yourself up with the gospel to others, making yourself vulnerable. You risk. You risk a lot. You can be misrepresented. You can be mistreated, misunderstood, mocked, all of the above. And remember, we've talked that Jesus isn't surprised by this. He's not surprised by the misconduct, by the, the cost that we pay to spread and participate in his mission. In fact, he's prepared us for it. He's promised us. He said, listen, if they have persecuted the prophets before you, how much more will you be persecuted? Others will revile you. They'll persecute you. They'll utter all kinds of evil against you. He doesn't just promise it, though. He also says, while that is true, there's also an incredible reward. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Spreading the gospel comes with a cost. These disciples realized that the reward greatly outweighed the cost. That it was worth it. And so progress was made. Onward they go. Look at progress and perseverance and their next stop in Lystra and Derby, verses 8 to 21. What a picture we've seen so far. If we're able to stop right here, if the sermon was just over, you might get the wrong impression. You might be tempted to think that what God is suggesting is that while life is tough, all that's required from us is to just sort of grit our teeth and just push through it. Take our licks and just keep on ticking. Is that what he's asking of us? Pull it together. Get over it and get on with it. As we consider the next phase of the journey, we learn a number of important lessons about perseverance and what it looks like as we participate in this great mission that God has called us to. Specifically, how are we able to do it? How were they able to persevere in the midst of such persecution, such hardship? If you thought Iconium was a wild ride, you haven't seen anything yet. In Lystra, it just gets worse. But it begins with a miracle. They make their way, as they normally do, preaching the word, and they discover a man who's hearing Paul speaking, who's been crippled from birth. It's a similar situation, a similar story that we see in Acts 3 and 2 as Peter and John are marching into the, the temple to pray, and they, they see a, a man who's, who's been born lame, and, and they heal him. It's a similar sort of story. He looks intently at him, the text says, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul commands him to get on his feet. And we're told a man who has never walked a day in his life immediately jumps up, springs up on his feet, and begins to walk. It's an incredible sight. It's an incredible sight. And the crowds seeing this amazing thing take place, they're beside themselves. They don't know what to do. 
They begin to worship them as if they were gods. Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes. They were as far as bringing them gifts. They wanted to sacrifice oxen to these men, treating them as if they were gods. And as they respond this way, Paul and Barnabas, of course, they'll have none of it. So that they tear their clothes, it's likely because they saw it as blasphemous behavior. And they rebuked them, did everything they could to try and get them to stop the nonsense. And Paul preaches a many sermon in verses 15 and 17. Introducing how different, it's interesting how differently he addresses this pagan audience than how he addressed the audience in chapter 13 when he stood in the synagogue. A very different approach. Remember, Paul is, is an expert at contextualization. There's no mention of Jesus yet at this point because first he needs to establish as he preaches this little sermonette that there's only one God, that all are accountable to that God, and his will stands revealed throughout creation and time. This living God stands in stark contrast to the dead, uninvolved idols that these individuals were worshiping. The God of the Bible is actively engaged in the world that he made, making a way for the nations to know him, shows great care for all people. His words, we're told, could scarcely restrain the crowd from sacrificing to them. It's, it's important that we stop and, and are reminded that this, this while it, it looks different than threats of stoning, this had the potential to completely derail their mission as well. The songs of praise can be just as troublesome, just as distracting, just as much of a problem as the stones that are hurled at them. We see this all over our celebrity sort of pastor culture today. There are threats that when you lift a human being up too high, give them too much praise, there are significant damage that can happen as a result. It's a very different tactic, but, but looking for a, a similar outcome from the enemy that's tempted to slow them down, to stop them from advancing God's kingdom. And in verse 19, the Jews from, we're told that Jews from Antioch and Iconium have, have hunted them down and, and somehow not told how they have persuaded the crowds to oppose the disciples. They dragged him out of the city, stoning Paul, thinking that he was dead. They left him there. Now, if you're thinking there was no way Paul could come back from that, once again, you'd be wrong. Remember, stoning was designed to kill. There are some that suspect that perhaps, it doesn't say exactly, as we'll get into it in a minute, exactly what happens, but there are some suspecting that this is almost like a, a coming back to life moment for Paul. Stoning was designed to kill, and they thought they had done a good job of it. Yet Paul and Barnabas were told, he, he rises up and he goes back into the city, the very same crowd that drove him out and almost killed him, and there he stayed for a night until the next day, and then he and Barnabas would continue on their way and journey to Derby. While they're in Derby, what we're told is simply that two things, they preach the gospel as they do, and two, they made many disciples along the way. Don't know much else about what happens there. How completely extraordinary these men are. They just keep going. Take them out of the city, leave them for dead. He goes back into the city. 
where the preaching of the gospel is what's bringing about the tribulation that he's experiencing, he continues to preach the gospel. One major obstacle after another. Opposition in his face. And we are left to ask, how do they do it? How does he persevere? How does he just keep going? Many of us would be tapping out right now, right now calling uncle, right? Likely many of us would be. I can think of three things that we see in the text in Paul's ministry that, that allows us to answer that question, how, that we see in our text today. The first is, for, for Paul and for Barnabas, the gospel of God provided motivation. They remembered the importance of the gospel. And this is, this is what put fuel in their tank. In verse 7 and 15 and 21, they just kept speaking about the goodness of God's grace as it is extended to them through Jesus Christ and the new life that people are invited to participate in. The, the, the reality of the gospel fueled their mission. Paul could not let go of the fact that the gospel meant forgiveness was offered. Freedom was possible. Justification was available. The Holy Spirit, God himself, was accessible. Adoption into God's family was possible. And reconciliation was inevitable. Future justification and future resurrection, participation in God's kingdom. Because the gospel of Jesus was so glorious, because it was so important, Paul and Barnabas needed to persevere. There were other people who needed to hear what these men had to say. For them it was a matter, it was a difference of life and death. The gospel of God provided motivation. But it wasn't just God's gospel, it was also God's people. The people of God provided encouragement. When Paul was taken outside of the city, when they left him there to die, look at what it says in verse 20. It's a very interesting Message, And I, I'm almost more interested in what it doesn't say than I am in what it does say. In verse 20 it says, But when the disciples gathered about him. Can you see the picture? Here's a man getting his la- looking for his last breath. Almost dead. Abandoned and alone. And there around him begin to assemble his brothers and sisters in Christ. The church of Jesus. Around him. Such a fascinating verse. Not sure what these people, who they are, but likely they're, they're recent converts that have just received the gospel. They're, they don't have any names that they're given in the story. We, we don't know their names. We have no idea what they did. All we know is that they gathered around him, thinking he's dead, likely feeling devastated and sad. They begin likely to pray and to pray and to pray. Paul is not left alone. The community of God surrounds him. This is what God's people do. When we find ourselves at our wit's end, God's people is where we're supposed to turn. Through thick and thin, whether we're crying together or rejoicing together, the point is that we're doing it together. Helping each other back on our feet encouraging one another. You can go on. We know what you're walking through is difficult. It's hard. We may not totally understand and identify. Nobody else could probably around that circle fully say, I know what you're going through, Paul. But you know what? They were there with him. He wasn't alone. 
This is what community does. This is what God's people do for one another. You know, one of my least favorite sports to participate in growing up was in cross country. I did it just because our coach was very, I don't know what you'd say, persuasive. <laughs> um, and I was no good at it. My parents are here today, and you could ask them. They could testify. I was no good at it. I didn't like it. Didn't enjoy doing it. But I did it. One of the, one of the things that I lo- what I did appreciate about cross country, well, not like running in it, was just sort of how it works. If you've ever been to a cross country meet or course, it's, it's really one of the most encouraging sports that I've ever witnessed. You're running around a golf course or whatever, and, and people that are there watching, they can kind of like, you know, place themselves strategically along the course. Sometimes you can pass by family, friends, teammates multiple times as you're running these three-ish miles. And I can remember as, a, as an athlete running them, you, you would be just feeling like, what in the world am I doing? Why am I torturing myself like this? I signed up for this. This is terrible. Ready to just drop out and quit. And then you see or, of the face of somebody you know. Maybe you hear the voice. And, and they're just encouraging you. You can do it. Turn it up. Don't stop. Leave it on the course. Over and over. And just, it's puts fuel in your tank. It says, yes, I can do it. You begin to believe their lies. I don't know. You believe them. And you just keep pushing through. Everybody here knows a little about suffering. And my hope here is that nobody leaves this room not also knowing. I mean, what would be just devastating is somebody coming in here week after week, being a part of this church, And while we all know a little about suffering, what would just bring great sadness to my heart is that there were some in here who knew nothing about encouragement, about receiving encouragement. My hope and prayer is that this is a church. And and what's been so cool, well, I think just about Parkview East, I mean, the last year has been really hard for us. It's been really hard on a lot of different levels. And one of the things that has brought me tremendous joy is watching you all standing there on the sidelines as others are running by, encouraging them, cheering them. You can do it. You're not alone. We're with you. Let's continue to be that type of church. For, for Paul, I'm convinced this is one of the reasons he was able to persevere, because God's people provided him the encouragement he needed. They were there when he was left for dead. Eugene Peterson says this about community and the importance of it. God's Holy Spirit calls and forms his people. God means to do something with us. And he means to do it in community. We are in on what God is doing. And we are in on it together. Thirdly, I think there's you know, the, the, the gospel of God provided motivation. The people of God provided encouragement. But I also think the presence of God provided him the power he needed. How could he go on? Well, the truth is, how he could go on was because God was with him. 
All the way leading up to this passage in, in chapter 11 and in 12 and 13, repeated over and over and over again, there's such a huge emphasis on how God is with him. That the hand of God says over and over again, it was with them, multiplying disciples, bringing down judgment on Herod, blinding the, the magician in Cyprus, strengthening them all along the way. He was accompanied by the people of God. But more importantly, he was accompanied by the very presence of God. You know, on his deathbed, Paul would write a letter to Timothy. And his life would continually be marked by opposition, persecution, hardship. And he's recounting at the end of that letter in 2 Timothy a, a situ- the situation that he's been essentially abandoned by some of his closest friends. He's been opposed by many enemies. Finds himself nearly alone. Except Luke is with him, interestingly enough, the one who's writing this letter. And he says in chapter 4, verse 17, through all of those difficulties, everybody else had abandoned him. He says these amazing words. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. His strength, see, Paul recognized that his strength to persevere, it had to come from outside of him. None of us, just within ourselves, can sort of pull it together to just push through and accomplish God's purposes. Every single one of us, as we participate in this great mission that God has called us for, if we want any hope, any desire in seeing God put us to work and, and persevere through hardship, through difficulty, it's going to be because, because ultimately something from outside of us, God himself provides us the power that we need. Paul is not just saying grit your teeth and push through it. The Lord's presence was really with him. The Lord was kind to him when others weren't. The Lord was with him when others had left him. And the Lord strengthened him when he found himself at his weakest moments. Parkview East, the Lord is really with you. I do not know what everybody in this room is walking through. The Lord does. And do you know what he does when you face obstacle, when you face opposition, when you face health scares, trials and tribulations of various kinds? Do you know that the Lord is with you? And he will supply for you, just like he did for Paul, the strength that you and I need to persevere even in the face of great hardship. Take hope, Parkview. The Lord is with you. If you are in Christ, the Bible says, Christ is in you, and he will not leave you. That should be a great source of hope for us today. Finally, verses 21 to 28, Paul and Barnabas begin to make their way home. 
As we look at the last section and consider their return trip, we are shown that, catch this, the Christian gospel creates an environment of mutual encouragement in the face of opposition. Another layer, sort of to the level of community that God is creating. Look at, look at their next move. Do you have the, the map you could put up there? It's, a, uh, it's not the greatest resolution. Maybe you can, s- hopefully you can see it. But you see they start off in Antioch, over in Syria. Go to Cyprus, up to Perga. Last week, Antioch, Pisidia, Acts 13. Then over to Iconium. They head southeast towards Iconium. Then Lystra, and then Derby. Now, what is close to Derby? If you just keep going east, not just is it close to Derby, it's also very close to where they're trying to get to, Antioch of Syria. It's Paul's hometown, Tarsus. Wouldn't it make sense that for Paul, having endured everything that he endured, wouldn't it make sense for him to just go to Tarsus? Maybe on to Antioch? Wouldn't that have made sense? He has just endured significant trouble. But instead, if you look at the map, what are we told in the Bible? They go back. They go back through those cities. They head back through Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch of Pisidia. How interesting. They could have just keep going east to Paul's hometown of Tarsus and back to Antioch. This would have made all kinds of sense. It would have maybe provided some rest, some much needed relief. It would have been maybe the most efficient way back. If comfort and convenience is what drove these men, it's likely what they would have done. But they didn't. They're not driven by comfort or convenience. They're driven by commitment to God's mission. And they went to these towns, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith. If you just read throughout the book of Acts, if you read throughout Paul's letters, you will see this phrase over and over and over again, continue on, continue on, continue on. They went there to strengthen the souls of the disciples, to encourage them to continue. What amazing picture this is of Christian leadership. He provides both an example and an exhortation. They go hand in hand. Their their exhortation to these churches is, is to continue on, but the message is preceded by a story of their continuing on, their persevering in hardships. Paul received encouragement and strength from these people that kept him going. And what's his response? Now on his way back home, he goes through their towns and he returns the favor. He encourages them. Continue on. He follows suit. Brothers and sisters, the gospel creates an environment of mutual encouragement in the face of opposition. It's not just the church's job to encourage its leaders. It's also the role of the leaders to encourage the church. The encouragement is needed and it flows freely in both directions. Why? Because Paul understands, verse 22, that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. To ensure that these churches are healthy, are set up for success, we're told that he appoints elders in every church. It's to ensure that the the church had the encouragement and the leadership it needed to persevere. He, he knew he couldn't offer that from afar. Paul had, wasn't, wasn't power hungry. He, he could have been tempted to sort of centralize the leadership around him, around his authority, but instead he localizes it. 
sets up the leadership. It's done through fasting and prayer, we're told. And then in verses 24 and 28, finally they make it their way back. After going through Pisidia and Pamphylia, they continue to proclaim the word in Perga and Italia, and then finally they sail for Antioch and Syria. As they arrive, they're welcomed by the church and commended to the grace of God for all the work that had been fulfilled. Just imagine this amazing reunion, celebrating all that God had done. It's right there in the text. God had done it through these people, through these men. And how through this church, through these men and their perseverance, progress was made. God, we're told, opens a door of faith to the Gentiles. And while the first missionary journey comes to an end, we know that the story continues to go on. We're told that they stay there in a little while enjoying fellowships, likely seeking treatment, being restored. And while there, Paul would eventually write his letter to the church at Galatia, which would be this same territory where he had just covered. Great progress as far as advancing the kingdom. Great progress. It happened through perseverance. Church, the reality is, we all know life is hard. Perseverance is needed. Let us follow this wonderful example. Let us be motivated by the glorious gospel of God to persevere. Let us consider what God has done for us in Jesus and let that add fuel in our tank to continue to share his good news with those around us. And as we do that, let's not do it alone. Let's do it together. There's a tremendous blessing in the community of God and there's an encouragement that every single one of us needs to persevere, to keep going. And finally, let's remember that if you are in Christ, Christ is in you. He's with you. God is really with us. Let's persevere together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and just the encouragement that it offers for us this morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, just as I know that likely in a room this size that there are some significant struggles, significant hardships that many of us are walking through. Lord, I pray that the wonders of your glorious gospel, Lord, that the reward that you have waiting for us would provide motivation for us to continue to, to walk forward step by step in faith with you, Lord. I pray that you would find ways for us to encourage one another, that we would not just be recipients of it, but we would be givers of it. Lord, that we would encourage one another. Lord, and I just, uh, I just pray that you would help us to never forget that your spirit was freely given to us, and he is with us, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen.